Water is an issue that brings people together, that builds trust, that improves the reality on the ground and can open the door for further conflict resolution. You're listening to Washworks, our podcast where we take a look at how a lack of water and sanitation impacts the everyday lives of billions of people around the world and what can be done about it. I'm Amrita Bhatnal. I'm the associate editor here at DevEx. I'm based in New Delhi and I usually look at our global health coverage. On this podcast, I'm going to do what I do best, ask questions to Rebecca. And I'm Rebecca Root, a reporter with DevEx. I'm based in Bangkok and I've been covering the wash sector for around three years now. As regular listeners will know, on this podcast and each episode, we look at WASH and one other SDG. So far, we've looked at gender, we've looked at health and climate change. So Rebecca, what are we looking at this week? This week, it's Sustainable Development Goal 16, which, if you're not familiar with, is promoting just, peaceful and inclusive societies. So how does WASH really fit into that? Well, I think firstly, it can really be a trigger for conflict. You know, um, in a piece that I did last year, there were reports in the Sahel where farmers were fighting over water resources because, you know, they're so scarce. And in Iraq, water quality has brought social unrest and violent protests. And then in Yemen, there were reports of urban water systems being frequently attacked. So when when water is scarce, like we're seeing in many countries at the moment, um, it, it's probably only natural that it's a trigger for conflicts as communities, regions, even countries fight over the resources and try and allocate um, who gets what. Um, And then if it's not the trigger, it can certainly be a factor that exacerbates conflict as well. So if there's already um, an issue and some conflict going on, if there's then not access to basic services like water, of course, tensions are only going to continue to rise. Yeah, exactly. And If there are more conflicts looming, there's also a need for greater water diplomacy. And I'm sure there's a need for more NGOs to be really talking about this issue. So, you know, the one question that comes to my mind is, you know, what are some of the challenges that NGOs who are working in this space, you know, either at the policy level or on the ground really need to be aware of? So I think it's going into a situation, perhaps setting up a program with um, an awareness that there might be some conflict or some tensions that have previously happened over a water source or that could be contributed to by a lack of water. And so that's something that our, our first interviewee is going to talk about today, those steps that water NGOs really should be taking to preempt conflicts and, and almost diffuse it really. That sounds really interesting. I can't wait to hear, but who is our first guest? So we spoke to Kelly Ann Naylor, who is the Associate Director of WASH with UNICEF, and she shared some insights about how a lack of access to WASH plays out in conflict situations and then how that has a knock-on effect for children in particular. So I think in our recent report, um, we basically released the fact that nearly all of the conflict-related emergencies where UNICEF has responded in recent years have involved some form of attack that has hindered access to water, whether it's an attack directly on a water system itself, um, which puts that water system out of commission, um, but it could also be through incidental harm um, where we could 
um, limit um, access of um, either life-saving supplies, like, um, for example, water disinfection chemicals or repair um, supplies for pipelines um, into areas um, of conflict. And so when these water systems are out of commission, um, this can create not only um, a scarcity situation, um, but also severely affect the uh, quality of the water that is available. And often um, people are forced to turn to untreated um, uh, surface water sources, wells, um, water coming from water tankers that may not um, have been treated. Um, and all of these things um, can contribute to um, an increase in diarrhea or the spread of other um, water-related diseases. At the beginning of the Water Under Fire campaign, um, we did release um, a report where we looked at the health data um, in a number of the um, active conflict um, areas. And we did identify that in those areas, um, children under five are, are 20 times more likely to die from diarrheal disease linked to unsafe wash than the violence of the conflict itself. And I think this um, opened up a lot of eyes and ears um, to some of the silent killers um, of children in conflicts um, that um, are, are happening around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's a really high, unbelievable number, really, when you think about it. Um, and so is there anything that those in the wash sector, wash professionals can do to kind of mitigate or prevent wash facilities being targets and then having these um, consequential, horrible effects on children? Yeah, I think what we're really seeing is in the nature of conflict, I think we're seeing two dimensions related to water. Um, and, and maybe let's say three <laughs> dimensions related to water. So one, I think, is the issue of conflict, um, which is the direct conflict that we're talking about now, where we may have um, attacks that may be, um, you know, dismantling water systems um, and, 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 you know, directly impacting access. And certainly um, what we've called for there has been to really elevate these issues as um, part of the monitoring mechanisms that are in place for conflicts, um, educating parties to conflicts around um, the need to prevent these essential services for civilian populations, um, and really trying to have greater accountability around protecting water um, in areas of active conflict. So that's, I think, kind of the first and maybe most visible dimension. Um, but when we're looking at also the peace building dimension, um, what we're seeing is um, the fact that um, water disputes that are becoming, um, you know, more intense and frequent um, as we see changes in climate, river flows, you know, transboundary water issues, or even at the community level where we could have um, a drought or a flood situation that could affect differently agricultural or um, livestock herding communities, or urbanization, which might be taking a greater share of water. I think we are now also looking at that dimension of peace building on how can um, we we move from having 
um, water as a potential source of conflict to having water be also an opportunity for cooperation. We need to have better um, types of analyses that underpin our, our understanding of where there could be potential conflicts um, around uh, a water source, but also how we integrate that into the type of programming that we're doing. Um, and we've seen now in a number of countries, UNICEF in particular has been working more on the inter-community dimension of water and peace building, um, which looks at um, how we how how communities can work together cooperatively around the use of water. Yeah, and would would you have any recommendations about how to leverage wash facilities as a potential peace building tool? Are there any tips or tricks that you've come across? When wash is a problem, when, for example, um, sanitation facilities have been hard to reach or unsanitary um, or water points being um, distant, these are obviously flashpoints um, for conflict and especially when these are being uh, shared by different communities. What we're looking at is how greater investment in water sanitation and hygiene can not only be um, a source of, uh, can not only bring about increased rights to, to water and sanitation and improved health benefits, but also can create more cooperation between communities. Um, we've been recently working on um, projects in uh, Sudan where we've looked at investing um, in a number of communities who used to have conflicts over um, sharing a water point to be able to bring investments that make um, better water access for all. Um, we've been working in uh, Ethiopia, looking at how do we break down a division between water for refugees and water for host communities by bring, being able to come up with a common solution that provides um, equitable um, access to water for both refugees and host communities. So I think, you know, the main point is that we need to be looking at um, you know, the, 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 at the very onset of, of projects and scoping projects to be able to look at the potential risks and also the benefits and opportunities that enhanced water cooperation can bring. Um, I think another really exciting um, thing that we're seeing in our programming is engaging young people. Um, we've seen um, some really um, exciting and promising work that's been taking place in Lebanon um, where young people um, from different uh, groups have come together um, to be leaders in finding those solutions. So we also really think that um, having a participatory process, um, linking uh, decision makers with stakeholders, and particularly engaging young people can also be something that really builds a longstanding um, uh, uh, tools and um, and a, a concrete opportunity um, for um, building common solutions and ultimately contributing um, to peace building. Do you think there um, is often that recognition that it can be an opportunity? Is that happening enough or is it something that kind of maybe passes people by? I think, you know, one reflection that we've um, been having as a sector um, is that the water sector has tended to be a very technical sector. Um, and I am certainly the first one to say that I'm part of 
that um, community of people, you know, we're engineers, scientists, but I think what we've been learning when we have been able to work together, which is what I think is one of the most exciting things of the SDGs, when we've been able to work together across SDGs, um, is that we've been able to really tremendously benefit um, from um, looking at these um, from uh, water programs with more of um, a, a conflict risk assessment or um, looking at how this can kind of bring about um, equitable uh, benefits from a, a, a peace building perspective. And I think, you know, the work that UNICEF is doing at the community level is something now that we're also looking at at the UN system level, you know, how can we as um, a UN community break down some of this um, fragmentation and have a much more um, holistic conversation with policymakers, decision makers, um, community members, and young people so that they can really be managing their water resources um, in a way that's both technically sound, um, but also kind of responds to the, the social and political um, dimensions. I think what stood out for me in this interview with Kelly is, you know, just us coming back to the reason why we're doing this podcast, right? Like WASH is connected to so many things. And we're talking about WASH and conflicts today, but obviously, you know, health can't be far away. And just that description of, you know, what the lack of access uh, to WASH can do to children, especially in conflict zones, uh, was, was really eye-opening. Yeah, I think, what was it, something like children in conflict zones are more than 20 times more likely to die from a diarrheal disease linked to unsafe safe wash than they are to violence. I mean, that's just incredible and something that I don't think we hear enough about. Yes, exactly. And, you know, earlier on we talked about sort of uh, water being the source of conflict, but I think what was also really interesting and what she talked about, uh, you know, Ethiopia was sort of this division between water for refugees and host communities and how that can be a point of uh, contention and how that really needs to be worked on. So, you know, the importance also of working with communities as you're dealing with these uh, geopolitical issues. Yeah, it can be a source of contention, like you said, but then I like that, that Kellyanne also highlighted that there's an opportunity there for peace building and building relationships between different communities. I thought that was a really good point that I don't know if, if many NGOs capitalize on that opportunity. Someone that's got first-hand experience of this is our next interviewee, Gidden Bromberg. He's the Israeli director of Echo Peace Middle East. Um, and EchoPeace is really interesting because it's an organization that's jointly managed by three directors, uh, one in Iran, one in Palestine, and then Gidon in Israel. And there's three offices as well. And it's just interesting because, as we know, these countries aren't exactly the best of friends. They're really not. And I think working on something like water, especially in that you know, Arab Middle East region where water itself is scarce might be, you know, uh, really challenging. So what exactly does EcoPeace do and do they, you know, work on just water or do they also have other projects? 
Yeah, so they are mainly focused on educating young people in their communities about the water realities that they face because water scarcity is an issue in that part of the world. And they also conduct some research and then produce some recommendations um, on how to kind of garner peace among communities with water at the core. And so, yeah, Gidden can tell us more about his, his experience and share some recommendations. So the water reality is very different depending on our country. So, you know, in, in Israel, there is 24-7 water supply. In fact, 70% of the uh, water uh, resources utilized domestically in Israel is today coming from desalination. Israel is also the world leader in treating sewage and reusing it for agriculture. So that half the food grown in Israel is, is actually grown uh, by utilizing no longer fresh water, but treated wastewater. That's a completely different reality uh, across the Green Line or across the border uh, to Palestine and to Jordan, where an intermittent water supply is tragically the name of the game. And it, and it depends uh, on the city and the location. The largest cities in Palestine or in Jordan We'll get uh, water once a week, once every two weeks. In the West Bank, there are cities such as Yatta that might be getting water in the summertime once a month. That means that the municipality is able to provide uh, the water only once a month and that every uh, home uh, throughout uh, the West Bank, Gaza or Jordan uh, will have to have a water canister on their roof or a cistern underneath uh, the house to store municipal water when it's provided. And uh, uh, should they run out, and because we tend to have large families, uh, uh, people are often having to buy uh, additional water beyond the municipal supply from water tankers that can be 20 times the cost of municipal water. In Gaza, the situation is the most severe where uh, you can no longer drink uh, the groundwater, the natural groundwater uh, that uh, uh, underli underlies Gaza. Um, and 97, 98% of that groundwater uh, is no longer potable. And uh, the population uh, shouldn't be drinking that water. They should be, they're sadly in a situation where they're having to uh, purchase uh, desalinated water at small quantities. So you see you know, people lining up uh, to fill jerry cans uh, with uh, desalinated water and use that water for uh, uh, drinking and cooking purposes. And the situation is going to get a lot worse now um, because of the climate crisis. On your website, um, I see that you say that water can be a source of either conflicts or collaboration. How have you seen that kind of play out in both instances? You know, historically, water issues have been an issue of conflict in our region. Although the conflict itself has not focused on water, because of the lack of trust, because the different sides have been at war, uh, water has been seen as a vital resource for the security of each side. And uh, the stronger side, being Israel, um, has uh, been able to capture um, uh, you know, larger shares, particularly um, since 1967, completely uh, control uh, water resources in the West Bank and initially in Gaza. Um, 
so that so that water was very much a, an issue of grab of each side wanting to take as much water as they could for their own legitimate needs. You've got to understand that here in the middle in the arid Middle East, water is scarce. And uh, uh, until you know the the desalination era in Israel, um, every drop of water uh, was needed to meet legitimate uh, needs of domestic water supply, uh, of industry and, and agriculture, and it was completely a zero sum game. And therefore, every uh, cubic meter of water utilized by one side uh, was very much at the expense of uh, water available to the other side and to nature. And you know that left um, you know the uh, rivers such as the River Jordan, perhaps the most famous river on earth, uh, you know, uh, turned into little more than a sewage canal south of the Sea of Galilee uh, because uh, Israel had taken half uh, the waters of the Jordan River and Syria and Jordan uh, took the other half, leaving uh, fresh water flows in, in, into the river down to about 5% of its historical flow. So then what kind of techniques or approaches does Echo Peace implement to try and ensure that we, the water is kind of um, promoting peace rather than some of those, those conflict situations that you've just explained? So first of all, our, our efforts have, have focused at the community level um, uh, to educate young people. Um, we run uh, programs in Palestinian, Jordanian, Israeli schools, after-school programs, um, we have youth water trustees that spend a year together um, learning about my water reality and my neighbor's water reality and the interconnectedness of the two. To us, the most important element that builds on the curriculum is actually seeing the reality on the ground, seeing the raw sewerage flowing on uh, uh, cross-border streams where fresh water used to flow and highlighting that um, uh, that there's an absolute collapse in governance. There's a, there's a loss for both sides. We have highlighted uh, uh, the lose-lose also through economic uh, studies that we've undertaken, uh, where, where we've shown that if we can cooperate uh, on, for instance, the rehabilitation of, of the Jordan River, our study showed that the current wealth of communities along the Jordan Valley is roughly $4 billion annually. But if we were to rehabilitate the Jordan River and work together, then we can expand that economy to $73 billion, simply because we, we will bring back a river wholly to half of, of the world and be able to attract tourism and diversify um, uh, income and, and, and create new wealth for all communities. That research undertaken um, has been a real game changer. You know, firstly, it, it, it empowered mayors from our respective communities to start working together and to literally jump into the Jordan River. We've helped attract uh, investments of about $100 million in the building of sewage uh, treatment facilities in Jericho in Palestine, in North Shuna, um, in Jordan. Increasingly today, water is a, a, an issue of energy. If you have sufficient energy, you can desalinate seawater and turn it into drinking water. 
And in that way, we're able to advance water security for all three of our peoples because of the advance in technologies, both in the treatment of water and, and in desalination. We think water uh, is the low hanging fruit. I, I think we've helped prove that water is an issue that brings people together, that builds trust, that improves the reality on the ground and can open the door for further conflict resolution. was a really insightful interview i think one thing that we really you know don't talk about enough is how water is such a vital resource of security for so many countries uh, you know right now and given the power dynamics between especially these three countries there is a lot of source of tension and uh, you know just anxiety over who gets what and it is really a zero sum game as he mentions uh I'm sure there are other countries and other you know regions that can really learn a lesson or two from him and from this project in terms of looking at how to just manage uh, both the communities aspect of it and also like the big picture part of the conflict right yeah definitely I think if communities in these three different countries are able to come together work together and share a vital resource like water then Others elsewhere would definitely be able to replicate that. And it was really good that Giron was able to share some advice and lessons learned that, or lessons that they've learned along the way that might be useful for others. Yes, definitely. And, you know, communities, as we say, are really at the center of any kind of work on sustainable development goals. Kellyanne mentioned it earlier, uh, you, know, you know, in her interview, Gideon mentions it. So it really kind of drives home the point of you really can't do anything without the support of communities and gaining trust with them, which is another point that he also brought up. Yeah, that's why I like this particular SDG when we're talking about it in relation to water sanitation and hygiene, because immediately that you don't quite see, or for me, I didn't quite see the connection until I started looking into it. It's not quite obvious but then of course it's only natural that a lack of water might cause conflicts and then it totally makes sense that there are opportunities there for communities to come together and and build peace and and build cohesion as well around this idea of access to water yeah and you know like kelly ann mentioned it earlier when she said you know water is such a dynamic issue that you you really can turn it from a source of conflict into a source of opportunity and we're already seeing how different organizations are doing that we are indeed and if anybody has any examples of that they would like to share we are definitely all ears and you can do that on social media using the hashtag washworks or you can head over to our website and leave us a comment we're at washworks.devx.com well that's it from us this week on the next episode we'll be looking at wash and education Thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please make sure to subscribe to Wash Works wherever you get your podcasts.